Okay, so we're back. We're going to talk about kind of COVID, some COVID-related stuff, yeah? Just, just in case, you know, nobody's ever been following what's happening in COVID, we should probably update, right? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about a couple, like, uh, science stuff, you know, not just basic stuff that I thought was weird about it. And then um, how it's affecting Japan a little bit, or how I think it might affect Japan. I wanted to hear your take on it. The first thing uh, I thought was super weird, which I know I already talked to you a little bit about, which was that like everyone's talking about, oh, we need more masks. Like there's a mask shortage um, for those, especially disposable surgical masks, I believe, which I think is a little weird because don't understand why more people aren't using ultraviolet boxes and lamps. And it's interesting, uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours actually sent me an article today saying that scientists did do a check and like, oh, the ultraviolet rays do degrade extremely fast. Yeah, no, duh. Anyone who works has worked in a biology lab knows this because it's standard equipment in a P2 level room where you you just turn on ultraviolet lights like when you leave the room or you're done with something like basically the normal procedure is you know you clean up you wipe down everything with 70% alcohol and then you turn on some ultraviolet light, lights at your bench or uh, you know sometimes they have them like at the top of the room of course you don't want to like be in there yourself but the ultraviolet like kills DNA RNA very or destroys it I should say and it degrades proteins. I, I mean, I'm sh- I don't know what the rates are on that, but. So you're saying that if only the Wuhan bioweapon lab would have been using UV. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's weird to me because, so, you know, I got a bunch of these little uh, UV boxes that are, uh, were already made, you know, for sterilization. And I brought one. Inci- incidentally, for your, for your tangas, this is just. It had a double usage for you. It was actually too small to fit the tanga, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, okay. You, find, you know, you learn the hard way. But And then I brought it to our shared lab. And every, all the other biologists were like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, huh, where did, how did you get that? And I'm like, oh, well. Amazon? <laughs> yeah, I just bought it on Amazon. I thought you guys were real biologists. And then... But hey, you just you can put a disposable mask in it and it should kill it. It should sterilize it within like a minute or like after a minute. And I just don't understand why that's not being used more, especially like in hospitals. Like I understand that they're autoclaving things, which is basically when you put equipment like surgical knives, for example, in a big container and boil it, essentially. But I don't know why they're not using more UV like lamps and UV boxes to sterilize things. It's really weird. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to rant about that. No, that is really, really weird that at least hospitals wouldn't already have these. And then even weirder that they wouldn't think about it now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's, it's totally disturbs me. And uh, But anyway, I'll, I'll move on to one of my crackpot, more crackpot ideas for these... Uh, covid uh you know patients which is how come we're not blood doping them okay what nick what is blood doping it's what lamps armstrong was doing isn't it where he 
was like taking out his own blood and then injecting his own blood like partway through a race, like when he's at a hotel or something. So what would that do for a Corona? Oh, so I'm just thinking like um, right now you're, so a lot of the trouble is you're having trouble breathing. And my understanding is originally like people thought it was because your lungs are, are filled with liquid. And, but now it seems like some people are saying that, oh, it's, it's seems like it's actually, you know, harmed the function of the lungs themselves, even, even if they're not like filled with liquid. And so you, you essentially a lot of people are dying because they're not getting enough oxygen and their body, right. I think arrests because it's, it's so tired from trying to breathe. And so I'm just like, wh- why aren't we? So, so is blood doping giving you more oxygen? I think it uh, allows you to use the oxygen more efficiently. But again, maybe this is, uh, maybe this is something I should Google right now. Yeah, I was just wondering what it would, yeah, it would, it would help your lung function. If it's, if it's just by more oxygen or? Yeah, because so you're bro- boosting the number of red blood cells in the bloodstream in order to enhance athletic performance. Because such blood cells carry oxygen from lungs to the muscles, a higher concentration in the blood can improve an athlete's aerobic capacity, VO2 max, and endurance. So I just think it, it, even if your lungs are have impaired functionality, like isn't that still going to make it more efficient, probably? Could you get the same thing from just taking oxygen? Oh, like having more pure oxygen? Yeah, like if you... like. I don't know, isn't there some people that go around with like those oxygen tanks and then... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just that blood doping is kind of like you do it once and you get these benefits longer than just having the temporary thing of oxygen. Yeah, because you have extra blood cells in your body for an extended period of time. Gotcha. And I just, I don't know why Lance Armstrong doesn't open his own hospital and get on this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, is it hard thing to do? I mean, can I do this at home, blood doping? I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, is it? I mean, how easy is? It? I mean, I've done the finger prick things before for the blood sugar. I mean, is this something like I spend a thousand dollars and I can have a thing where I'm I'm blood doping, or is it much more complicated? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not rocket science, you know. Like Lamps Armstrong was having some. Yeah, but he also had a he had a ton of money though, right? It's like I'm sure LeBron James has some cool equipment too. But a nurse could do it. A nurse could do it in a snap. Let's put it that way. Oh, I guess I'm just wondering. You know, is it isn't the, is the same thing? It was like, well, if, it's also hard to get a lot of ventilators right now. So is it hard to get all the equipment to do blood doping? Oh, I don't think so. I I think it's more just like an IV. Like you get an IV and then you push the blood in. But maybe I'm wrong about that. So you drain blood out one arm and you put your blood in the IV and then put it in the other room. Now I'm curious if it's with a shot or no, I see an IV picture. Oh no, it's, yeah, it's with a shot, I guess. So people, cause you need the pre- more pressure. Like, and so do, do, are they doing anything to the blood after you take it out? Are they like, I don't know, spinning it and doing something? I don't know. Yeah, but not, not like really crazy stuff. I just wondered if this was going to, if it would be more complicated than using a ventilator. But if it's not, and it's like super easy and you don't need anything, then I guess why not try it? Yeah. Also, if you're if you're short on ventilators or like if the ventilators are having trouble working because your lung function is impaired, like I think the blood doping might be a good, uh, I would give it a shot. 
I'd be trying anything if I had it, and it was actually a problem. Right? That's what I'm saying. And it's not like, like a, actually, it's also like these machines, like we're short on machines, but it's actually pretty easy to come up with some blood and like have that ready. Like you could come up with, you could, it's pretty easy to like make a thousand shots of blood. Like the shots aren't, ex- like the blood is not expensive. The shots are not expensive. And it's just like have that because you can store it. It's, it's really weird. When I first saw blood doping, I was thinking it was like using other people's blood. Oh, well, you can. Yeah. And I was wondering, you know, like now that they have antibody tests, what is what is putting other people's antibodies in your blood do? Nothing. Um, well, it can actually help you, actually. Right. So that's like what they're trying to do with uh, patients that have recovered because they might have antibodies for COVID. So, I mean, so if they, can they harvest antibodies or can you only use them if they're yours? No, you can harv- Yeah, you can harvest them. You can do blood transfers. Okay, interesting. I don't know. I I just don't understand. Like everyone freaks out. Like uh, about like gets really focused on these. You know, one thing is like there's all this all types of stuff we could be doing. Yeah, I also wonder like if they are actually like hospitals are actually trying all these things. Like I, you don't really can't really trust the news to be telling you what's really going on. Oh uh, yeah. Like surely some doctors have have tried other stuff. That reminds me. Okay, but that's that's gonna be a topic on another show, right? <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, we gotta put that down for later. Okay, so I wanted to also talk about like how COVID's affecting Japan, and I had a thought uh, earlier today that uh you know I, I put out on the internet, and um, people seem to really respond to it. Which is that, um, you know, like Japan is really good. Like they didn't invent Six Sigma or those kind of manufacturing um, systems, but they were the first to implement it at scale, right? And so they're like really good at manufacturing and making systems that produce products that fit within tight specifications. But I'm wondering if that's like also a weakness which is that, which you see because those systems become, it, it seems like everything becomes so tight that like they're, they're optimizing for, for like everything being very tight within spec that they're unable to adapt, you know, very quickly to, to like trying to make a dynamic system. And um, an example of that is just like how things are priced in Japan and how they do pricing. And so, you know, I was thinking about a couple times where one is a really old, old experience I had. um, And one was a recent one, which was just like funny, stupid anecdotes. You know, like one time I was at a kombini in Japan and I like tried to buy, I literally just tried to buy an apple and the apple didn't have a price sticker on it. And he's like, oh, uh, I don't know how much it costs or something. I was like, oh, just, well, what do you want it to cost? And he like wouldn't, he basically wouldn't sell me the apple. Because it didn't have a... Wait, this is a convenience store, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, he wouldn't sell me an Apple because it didn't have a price tag on it. I was like, well, just, I'll pay you, like, I'll pay you, you know, like, five bucks if you want. Just sell me the fucking Apple. And he, like, wouldn't do it. <laughs> and then, like... <laughs> uh, okay. And, you know, it, it just ended with that guy being afraid and not wanting to send, sell me the Apple. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it is the the good thing and the bad thing of Japan 
And you are using a convenience store employee, which isn't like, he's not, it's not like his convenience store. Yeah. So I got a load of examples. Let me tell you about one that's only like a week old. It's, it's post COVID. So I'm, I'm in a, this was like a few weeks ago. And during lunch, I went to get, I went to a, uh, a restaurant that I know served pizza, but I didn't know they were like, if they served it during lunch or because I was a little bit confused by their menu when I walked by it. Anyway, I go in, I sit down, I get the menu and I look at it carefully and I'm like, okay, so I can get pizza for lunch. And then like, I, I try to order the pizza from the waitress and she's like, oh, that's for two people. Like it's a set. Well, I'm like, what? I'm like, no, but I, I can eat it. Like I thought her concern was that I wouldn't be able to finish it. And I was like, no, I can eat the whole thing. And she's like, no, but that's for two people. I'm like, no, but I, and then, you know, I started, I started getting a little upset. I was like, nah, this is what I want. I was like, I was like, yeah, but I want the pizza. And then I was like, can you go? I was like trying to, trying to be nice. And eventually, you know, she, she did ask her manager and it, he did say it was okay. But it was like pulling teeth to buy the thing I wanted, which was also the most expensive thing I could order. So I was like, don't you want to upset? Like, don't you want to sell me the most expensive thing? Yeah. So the window on this, I don't know. Those don't like, uh, those aren't good examples of what I was talking about with dynamic pricing. But it's just examples of like how I think the culture around pricing and selling things is so different in Japan. So I hear, okay, I hear, I hear that a lot and I'll just, I'm just going to take the opposite point of view. You're asking like, okay, the one thing that Japanese are really good at doing is following the rules and you can't expect like an employee at a chain convenience store and an employee at a restaurant, like being the server, they, they know they don't have the decision-making power to do that. So all their job is, is to like take your order in the rules, right? And the rules are, this is the menu. So they can't, they can't fathom. It's the same with like, if you tried to change a topping on that pizza, it's like there, you can't like, this is the pizza. Like you can't change it. Uh, it's like that, at, you know, McDonald's, like in the U S you can get away with a lot, but I think in the U S it's, it's like the people just don't give a shit. And it's like, when I worked at McDonald's, it was like, yeah, you could probably, it probably the boss, if he saw you do it, wouldn't be happy about it. But like, Mostly, nobody. I don't give a shit. So if you ask for something weird, I'll just do it. Wait, did you work at McDonald's? Yeah, I worked at McDonald's. I did the front and the back uh, at McDonald's. But it's like, I don't know. There are people ask for just weird substitutions and shit. Like I, I don't know. Like there was a lot of people that ordered like Big Macs without bread. Mm. And and I know. And you so you just do it. You know, I don't care. Like we usually throw a thing and you know. But in Japan, if you try to order a Big Mac without bread. It would be like, well, that's not a thing we offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I doubt they would do it. So it's like, yeah, I see it. A lot of times the managers will, uh, it depends though. If you get like a chain store that has rules then the manager's worried about his compliance with the rules and you'll just never be able to order like uh, any, anything like you can't, ju- they'll just tell you like, oh, that's really for two people and you're only one. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on two points. The one is you're right. I should have murdered that waitress. She deserved to die. Um, totally agree. Yeah. The um, second point was uh, it's different in that it, it's about following orders. But I would say it's it's related to what I'm talking about with pricing and making money is that the priority is not to make money. It's to follow orders. You know what I mean? Like, And I, I, I don't think it's just at that level. 
it's like you see that in the culture of the businesses and the characteristics of the businesses themselves. Yeah, and I I have a an a example to counter my my devil's advocate position also related to pizza and a place that I really fucking hate. Uh, but I went to a pizza place that is popular for reasons I don't understand with foreigners, uh, run by foreigners, uh, claiming to make a certain deep dish pizza that uh, I went to and it closes at nine. The food order stop at like 9 p.m. or something like that. And I literally got there because their place is Im- impossible to find. I literally got there at 9.01. What location? Conda. Okay. Uh, and I was told that our, our food stops taking orders at 9, 9 p.m. We stopped taking food orders. And I'm like, I literally spent 15 minutes finding your place. It's now 9.01. You really can't make a pizza? They're like, no, we, our food orders stop at 9. And this is not Japanese people. These are foreigners running a Japanese pizza place. And I was like, really? You d- you don't mean to pay to pay forty dollars for your overpriced pizza that I'm sure is shit. Uh, you don't want forty dollars to just make a pizza. So first of all, Devil's Craft is the place you're talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, horrible. Yeah. I th- I think it's good. Yeah, because you've been in Japan for too long. What? And you forget what pizza is supposed to taste like. Oh, ha- dude, I will. Okay, I will go off on pizza. Well, I mean, you can like you can like what they make, but it's definitely not Chicago's good style good pizza. That's absolute garbage. But okay, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's the best. I'm certainly not saying it's the best pizza out of the pizza universe, but the it's definitely good pizza. Like it's it's pretty good. It is good, and it's good for Tokyo. I'll take Caesarea. I'll take wow. uh, Pizza Hut. I'll take Domino's. What? Like anybody can make anybody can make better crust than whatever it is that they do there. Wow, but 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 anyway, the point was like, yeah, it, it is a weird thing because there's no way that I go to a place in New York and I get there at nine oh one and they say, sorry, we're not going to make a pizza. And in China too, they would never do that. They'd be like, no, we would like we would like to have forty dollars for a pizza. Exactly, that's the thing. That's that's a, how I always think about this too. Is like, what would happen if I was in Taiwan? And they and then I would be like, oh, but I want this other ingredient on it that isn't on your menu or something. And they'd be like, oh yeah, we have that. Like, oh, you want double pepperoni? Okay, you know. And then they'd be like, they'd be like, all right, because yeah, we want the we want money. Yeah, I agree. Like the double pepperoni is a good example. I, I guarantee there's so many places here. I guarantee if you go there and you ask for a double topping, like if that's not a thing that they already have, they just they won't do it. Yeah, like we just don't have we can't conceive of how we would we would make a double topping pizza that always pisses me off so much. (laughs) And I guess I I guess we're not going to get our uh, Devil's Craft sponsorship anymore. Well, no, I don't know. They couldn't they can die. I don't really care. Yeah, it's some of the worst pizza I've ever had in my life. You're just you, you always say that about things like it's not it's definitely better than Domino's. It's pretty good. I w- no, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, have you had Domino's? Uh, I have. Recent? No, you don't, right? Not recently. Okay, yeah, but you got to try their 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 thick. I can't remember what it's called now. Their pan. I think it's a pan. It's not the normal crust, but whatever the. I can't remember the name. It's like a pan pizza, maybe. That one is way better than Devil Craft. First of all, it tastes like pizza, and then second of all, the crust is really good. I was actually just talking about pizza a lot lately. I could go on and on. 
it's a pretty big deal in, in my family. Like, uh, I guess on multiple occasions, I, I never made it to these like mini family reunions or like birthdays, like uh, maybe 10 years ago or something. But oh, so I have a lot of family in Connecticut and pizza is really big in Connecticut. And they would actually like, uh, they were actually kind of renting or, or paying for a food truck to come to their house for like two hours or something. Wow. That's how serious we take the pizza. Well, in a world where there's competition on pizza, I'm sure it's a lot better than Double Craft. All right, so getting back to pricing in Japan, more on the pricing side. So, like, I noticed even after COVID, though, like, the hotel prices are not changing that much. And then, you know, there's an article on the Japan Times about how the domestic flights haven't been changed that much. And... Like there's something saying that it was they were running at two thirds capacity, but not. But that doesn't mean that they were, like that's what they were probably normally running at two thirds. They didn't cancel flights, but the actual um, number of the demand was only like ten, I'm looking for it now. That's why I'm stuttering. But it was only like ten percent of what it usually is, or something. So like, what was it? Yeah. So it's ten percent of the usual demand. So, so if that's true, should, shouldn't they raise? Shouldn't they raise prices? Uh, well, they should raise prices and reduce flights. But if they're going to have the same number, like, well, actually, let me think about that. Well, I guess it de- it depends if they're going to reduce the flights or not, right? But it's just such a weird reaction. Is like not changing the flights at all. Um, I mean, has the U.S. though? Um. I think it has. I think domestic flights have changed. I actually, I should, I should have checked. Yeah, I'm curious about that. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that's actually affected it. Like, in a lot of ways, I, you would be tempted to say you should make them cheaper, so that then it go, you know, more people use them. But I don't think it's right now a functional price. So it's like almost like you should penalize the people that actually have to fly and make them more expensive. Well, uh, hold on a sec. So first, uh, I looked it up. So yeah, U.S. airlines are waiving fees and canceling flights. U.S. domestic passenger flights could virtually shut down, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, they're definitely shutting down in the U.S. But, like, even if you... Okay, so, like, take the example, like, Airbnb. Like, shouldn't you reduce the price for your Airbnb? I mean, the, you're tempted to think that's how that works, right? But I... Well, Airbnb is different. I mean, if you're a hotel, I would be tempted to say that you should raise the price of your hotel. Because the only people using it are going to not care how much it is. Yeah, like if you're if you're a five star hotel that usually charges I don't know five hundred dollars a night for example if you made it one hundred dollars a night does that is that better like I don't know it's almost like you should raise your five hundred dollar night to a thousand dollars a night because the the same person or the person that is going to pay that is going to pay twice as much as well I don't know and either way is a is really a great strategy honestly right now I think no one is going to really stay either way but the dynamicness is definitely Japan will be slower on that Air, airlines is a little hard hotels. I don't know who's staying in hotels now. Yeah, so I, I I see your point, like the about okay, the hotels might be well. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of differences, let's say, between hotels and Airbnb. Like, if we want to get in the nitty gritty, like the Airbnb host, probably the money, like the, in some cases, the money might be like an optional thing. But it's still the general thing I've seen in Japan is like the pricing is not really that dynamic, right? No, definitely not. Like, uh, for example, like taxis, right? So I think they charge less during the day than at like peak hours at night. But again, it's only like uh, two 
maybe time time periods it's not 10 or you know yeah uh i think a really good example is trains and versus europe no matter when you buy the high speed train ticket to from like osaka to tokyo it's the same price no matter when you can buy it for a year in advance or tomorrow it's the same price but in europe the prices go a huge difference three four times difference depending on when you buy them and if you're just going to go from like um, Germany to Prague, uh, like Berlin to Prague, that ticket could be like 300 euro or like 100 euro, or maybe they have some crazy deal four months in advance. It's like 30 euro. I remember a friend from the UK telling me this kind of thing. And it's like and he, he, he actually likes the Japan system just because he knows that he's not missing out on a good deal. Whereas like in the UK, he always felt like, I don't know if I should buy that because maybe in a, in a week they'll have a deal. And if I go a month later, it'll be cheaper. It's like in Japan, you never have to worry about that because it's always a fixed price. And that has to be exactly what you're talking about. Like, obviously, it shouldn't always cost the same price to go from Tokyo to Osaka. That's why those trains are like standing only sometimes. Right. So in, in those times, it should be more expensive nat- if you're letting it naturally go by supply and demand. But they wouldn't they don't do dynamic pricing here at all for train. Yeah, and so I think that's that kind of culture or mindset is going to make Japan particularly vulnerable to the economic effects of COVID because like like they're not canceling the flights. They're not like the businesses aren't going to change, like adapt, and so I think they're just going to lose more money. It's weird they're not canceling flights though. Like so does that mean they're flying planes empty? I think some of them are literally empty. They might have a couple you know, a couple passengers for per flight, that mentality of, oh, we're not going to change the price or it's going to take like three months to make a new price, I think is going to make them get hit the hardest because you're basically just not adjusting to the market, which means you're just going to miss out on more sales or like more revenue. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, in general, the general point you're making, I agree on Japan and dynamic pricing. and uh, But I don't know if, it, I don't know, during COVID, it's like, okay, so you're not optimizing profit for two months. It's like, I don't know if it's that, it's not that big of a deal. But the general comment on like things like this make it obvious that they're not. Yeah, I think I agree with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just thought about it too. It is, it is a short period in in some ways, but like, is it like, I mean, the effects, the economic effects of COVID are going to last longer than the two months, right? So the Olympics got canceled or, you know, postponed. And so tourism is going to drop. I think uh, there's a lot of effects, at least for Japan also, maybe like the the tourism thing and Olympics thing. And so I I think it's like that not being able to react is going to have long-term consequences. Yeah. I mean, uh uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for me to see versus the U.S. Like how how it would be that much different, right? Like people. I mean, the U.S. Uh, is the U.S. reacting any better? Are they doing something more dynamic? You know, still you can get food delivered here. You can get food delivered in the U.S. I don't know. It doesn't feel like any more. Like what's happening? It's more dynamic somewhere else. Uh, I'm yeah. Again, yeah. That's a good point. Also, I, I would like to see. It'd be it'd be really cool if I if you could see some data about like small businesses and restaurants in the U.S. versus Japan. I know some are like some in Tokyo are. There's more signs for takeout, for example. Um, so in some ways they're adjusting. Like okay, they'll offer takeout. Maybe they didn't before, or they're just advertising that they do. So if I'm gonna 
take the counter position, which I, I actually kind of think, I think the U.S. Is, might be a lot worse at this because the people working, the people working in Japan, it's uh, like the servers and stuff. I think I, I would tend to say are less dependent on the money than the people working as like servers in in the U.S. and especially like the tipping thing, right? Uh, like all, all those people making so much money off of just being a waiter, a waitress, and tips. In Japan, I don't know. It's usually. Wait, did you say making all that money? Like they're they're, they're fucking rich. Like they going home in a Benz. Hot twenty four year old bartenders in New York. Yeah, they're not making a killing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but yeah, but in Japan, there's nobody making that kind of money off of working there, and so they tend to be like part time jobs of like college students or housewives while the kids are at school. That's just the reality. That's the majority of these people. Um, besides the managers, but the equivalent of the hot, hot bartender in New York City is the the college chick working in Kabakura, right? Yeah, but she doesn't need them. You know, I mean, like the people that are really hurting in the U.S. I think are are like they're hurting more than the people than the equivalent of person in Japan. And like, I don't see what is really helping. Like, why why would the U like the U.S. isn't doing anything more dynamic to really help? than japan is i just think those people are le- are worse off than the japan version yeah you're starting to make me think it's just like also just apples to oranges because if we're comparing at that kind of level it's like well it's more related to like maybe how uh, well off someone is isn't really related to the business part it's like more related to the social services and stuff you know so, so I think like the the if we're just ignoring like that those ones and just talk about like on the business level like the people running the restaurants, I think t- Tokyo and Japan are maybe similar like similar situation, and maybe the go- I think the government is help in both cases is helping those businesses. Wait, did you say Tokyo and Japan? Sorry, I meant Tokyo and the, and the U.S. Uh, like the the businesses in Japan and the U.S. I think uh, like running like running smaller restaurants like not a chain I think are in a similar situation. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, but but and maybe both of those are getting some kind of government aid or in a in a way through this. But the bigger one is tour, is tourism, right? So I, like that one is going to suck everywhere, right? After after all this, nobody nobody really is going to start was want to go anywhere, right? Both domestic or abroad, both in the U.S. and in Japan. And the only thing is like, yeah, I know Japan has been counting on a lot. I mean, they count on a lot of tourism and. The Olympics was a big supposed boon for all this as well, right? It was already, tourism was already really huge and growing, but uh, missing out on the Olympic stuff, it's, it's right now it's at a postponed thing. So if, if anything, maybe the optimist uh, case scenario is that the having the Olympics next year is actually the first thing that people worldwide start actually traveling to. And so maybe Japan is actually in front of everyone else on tourism because of the Olympics next year. That's the optimist point of view. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I don't know how, how well this will start to go back up. But Japan relied a lot on tourism. More than, I don't know, it feels like more than the U.S., but uh, maybe that's not true. Maybe New York is makes a ton of money on tourists. That's probably a case, right? Yeah, I think what uh, you convinced me of is, is like it's kind of uh, in maybe an industry-by-industry basis. So, like, some examples like the airlines in Japan are definitely, like, different, and that's going to hurt them more, but maybe the restaurants it's like almost equivalent yeah so anyway that that leads me i think to the other topic i wanted to talk about next which is 
the consumption tax in Japan? Because I've well, one is like you were you were talking about you know uh, government handouts or whatever, right? For rescue, and so like they're they're essentially gonna you know send like a or each citizen can get like a thousand bucks or kind of less than a thousand U.S. dollars in Japan. Uh, Japan, yeah, I was just putting in dollars. Start start with the U.S. one. The U.S. one is twelve hundred dollars to maximum twelve hundred, depending on your money that you made last year, as long as it's not over a certain amount, right? Yeah. In Japan, it's it's three thousand dollars if you can show that you've you've lost three thousand dollars. Oh, for the yeah, for the businesses. Oh, for the businesses, I don't know. No, but this one says I'm looking at it right now. It's the Juman. This must be new. There's $3,000 per household is the one that I know about. But in the Japan, in the U.S. case, everyone's already got it, right? Like my sister got hers. Like if you filed your taxes in 2019 and you're eligible, you'll get your stimulus money. In Japan, next month, they'll figure out what the details are for giving you money at some point. Even though everything is currently state of emergency across Japan and Tokyo has been like that for a few weeks and on basically shut down. There's still nobody knows how you'll get money in Japan. But he says Abe is, let's see, the the eligibility isn't clear. Yeah, the eligibility and the way that you'll get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, a thousand, like, so it's just funny to me because, like, he just, you know, we just raised consumption tax in Japan, like, last year. And then you're going to give him, like, a thousand, thousand dollars. Like, <laughs> Um, it, it, like, like, and I know some Japanese politicians were talking about just reducing the sales tax immediately. Well, not just, but one thing to do is just reduce that immediately, which I actually, I do agree with. Yeah. Like what a genius idea. How about, how about no tax on food for a month? <laughs> like, I don't know. There's like really easy things to do. And if you want to, you want to see how like everyone bitches about the U S and, and everything, their government. Yeah, you want to see how slow it is. Like Japan is next month going to figure out what it means to like give people a stimulus check. They decided they'll do it like a month ago, but they're waiting two months to figure out, okay, what is that? How do we actually give people money? And then how do they actually qualify? <laughs> like, like instead of just doing things that are like really simple, like, yeah. And how about no sales tax on food for a month? Exactly. It's so, it's so easy because you don't have, you have to send anyone anything. Yeah, well, they are sending two masks to everybody. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, Jesus. We haven't got ours yet. And the consumption tax is the, it's just the worst thing ever. Not ever, but it's just terrible. Like that Japan has been increasing consumption tax because it just squeezes the working class the most. Like, you, and you, I, I was thinking about that because you talked about it um, in a previous episode. And like, if you're making, you know, the minimum you can make per month and you just increase the consumption tax, there's nowhere for you to go. Like you're just getting squeezed and the companies like aren't changing the salary system based on the consumption tax. I mean, this, this very much goes to your dynamic point. It's because of all this kind of stuff. Like everybody has a fixed fee at every like point of every kind of supply chain or, you know, stack of however money, you know, like moves around with taxes or fees and stuff and it's like nobody nobody can imagine changing like this fixed fee to a dynamic fee 
And because of this, like salaries just never go dynamic. It's just like a fixed thing. Meanwhile, yeah, any increase in like this kind of thing, like, uh, I don't know. I remember, I remember in the US, maybe, maybe I was in like a good case scenario and this isn't like the norm, but every year you had like uh, just like a salary increase for no reason like 1% or 2%. It wasn't like your bonus and it wasn't even like performance based. It was like, here's your base, like salary increase because you worked a year and it like usually is around inflation ish. And then, then there's like a, then there's like, how good did you do? Maybe you get another 3% and then, then there's like a bonus thing, something that you get some places, but I don't know. It just always felt like your salary was always going up like one or 2%. And like, that just doesn't exist in Japan. It's like, this is your salary and yeah, I don't know, maybe in five years you might get like a hundred dollar raise a year. <laughs> like, I don't know. The, 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 raises are pretty funny like that. It's like, we will give you an extra $10 a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, and that's like, you should feel good because last year you didn't get anything. Yeah. And meanwhile, yeah, like a 5% increase is, you know, that's a 5% direct out of everything. And that, yeah. So how do you, how does that work? That doesn't for most people. And uh, man, I, I just feel like that's such a, it's kind of a story that I don't think that issue is getting enough attention. And I like, uh, can you talk about uh, your friend that uh, used to work at a, or still works at a travel agency? Yeah. I mean, it's probably not a good time to work at a travel agency. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's just say pre, pre-COVID situation. Well, well even, even pre-COVID. I mean, yeah, the reality is like you're in Tokyo on on the super low end, if you want to trade off a lot of things, you can probably get a place around six hundred dollars a month. <laughs> and then, like, uh, regardless of I don't know age or experience or things, like I don't know, they they, they kind of start really low on salaries, like around I don't know two thousand twenty somewhere between two thousand twenty five hundred is what you're generally making, like a month before taxes. Yeah, before taxes. So then you do your taxes, you do your health care. You, then you have to pay your rent and you have all your, um, yeah, with the consumption tax thing, you're left with really nothing. Yeah. But in the specific case of now, it's like that whole company, uh, everybody's like forced to take a uh, holiday. Is it a f- official furlough or? Um, they did something where the government is helping that company some, by giving them something. I don't. It might just be like forgiveness. Like, I don't know. I think the unemployment system somewhat works similarly. Like if they lay off people, the company is still responsible for paying essentially the money that the government will give them for their unemployment. I think what's happening is like they're they're getting some, like all the employees are getting some money through that mechanism, but the government is like not charging the company money or something. I don't think you painted the picture bleak enough. <laughs> Which part? The chick that was working at the uh, travel agency, because the bleakness is mostly the working at the company. The bleak—it's not necessarily the. So yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. But uh, let's break it down again. So let's say after taxes and deductions, she's around like maybe eighteen hundred dollars per month before before rent. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, probably tax is around fifteen percent. So times point eight five. Yeah, eighteen hundred sounds good. So then she has like six hundred dollars in rent, so she's at like twelve hundred. Yeah. And then if she spends anything based on last year, you're pay, t- paying ten percent tax on that if she buys anything. Yeah. So you're, and then you're looking at so we were at eighteen, we were at twelve hundred, and then oh, it was a cost to live like around six hundred dollars a month, probably for food, right? If you're making it yourself. 
Yeah, if you're making yourself, so that's so you're down to six hundred. Then you got to pay for your cell phone and all that kind of stuff. So you're down to like four hundred, and then out of that four hundred, if you well, including the food and the four hundred, if you spend it on anything, it's ten percent. Yeah, so it's like you you basically have three hundred dollars a month to not die. Yeah, and then like let's paint the picture more. Like, you know how how many hours a day was she working? Oh Jesus! Well, this is the the grim part of this is uh, when you're not doing a tour abroad and, you know, being working, which is basically working full time when you're gone for two weeks, doing tours all day and waking up at 5 a.m. to get everything ready for the next day. Like they don't, they don't, you don't get any reimbursement on any time for any of those weekends that you lose or anything like that. When you say you're losing weekends, you mean when your tour is on the weekend? Well, it's four, it's 14 days. So you're losing like two weekends every time you do a trip. Oh, so you're still on monthly salary, even though you're working 14 days straight? Yeah, yeah, your salary is fixed. Okay, and then so when you come back, you don't get any extra days off? Yeah, you don't get like, because you lost two weekends, they don't give you four days or anything like that. And then the the worst part of it to me was when you do these trips, uh, you you have to, you have kind of an agenda sort of already made for you. But you have to research like what all this means because you have to like translate and explain and get make everyone ready. And so you have to research like where the bus actually is because you have to lead everybody there on day one and day two and day five and seven. So you have to know where all the bus stops are and like do all this research and print out maps and make notes and learn about all the things that you're going to have to you know answer questions on if you go to like a museum. You have to do all that, but you can't do it at work. You, you have to do it on your own time. So at work, you're you're like doing all this other shit in the office, and then you're working like from nine to nine every day, uh, Monday through Friday, and then on your own time, either during the weekdays or the weekend, you have to make these like you know sixty to hundred page notebooks of all the stuff you're going to do on the trip, and then you go on the trip and lose two weekends, spend fourteen days. When you come back, the next day they usually come back like on a Sunday, and then on the Monday. You have to turn in a report of like the whole trip, how it went, what kind of problem, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you're jet lagged, right? You came back Sunday, you're jet lagged. You got to go on Monday for sure. And then like usually, you know, you have like some vacation. So usually what ends up happening is like you take a vacation day uh, that week. Usually it's not the first three days. The first three days you have a lot of stuff to do to like finish off that last tour. So anyway, I'm, pr- I'm sure she's probably really happy now that she doesn't actually have to work. All right. Well, Okay, it definitely got more bleak. When I said it needed to be more bleak, I didn't mean <laughs> that bleak. Jesus Christ, man. Okay, well, that's the reality of the situation. There was one part, though, also, that, like, notebook. I thought you said, like, thing that I got from when we talked about that ages ago was that, like, she has to make the notebook, but, like, no one can, no one ever shares their own notebooks, or they don't have, like, a notebook. Oh, no, those are, like, your precious jewels, like that you made. So if she ever has to go back to the same place. You could just have one notebook that got made and then shared among everyone pretty much, right? Yeah, I mean, you'd probably have to change stuff every time, but it's kind of like the knowledge of all the tours is with the specific person that goes on them. And then like when they hire a new person, like that person is responsible for doing all this again from zero. Yeah, that just seems like the worst part, (laughs) you know? Yeah, well... Yeah, so you know when this company goes out of business, uh, what you know, then in two years, is there a big opportunity for like travel companies? Because all you have to do is like do that, right? Just have an internal 
tour database of like all this information. And then I don't know, but then that doesn't really help again. Maybe this is, this is kind of like a refactoring thing. It's like, it doesn't really change the input and output. It just makes it better for the user, the internal developer, <laughs> like, right. So it makes her life better because she doesn't have to spend all of her free time on making these, but for the person going on the tours, it doesn't change anything. So is, so is there any benefit in actually making her life better? Well, so far Japan has said no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. They're like, nah, we could make it better, but why would we modernize? You know, it's not going to, it's not going to make them any more money if she somehow has more free time. They don't care. Uh, but the one, the one on the, on the stimulus package though, the one weird thing is for the one in Japan, even if they figure out all this shit, basically you have to prove that it's not like the U S where you just get it across the board. <clears throat> based on your last tax payment, you have to actually prove that you lost this much money because of COVID, and then they'll re- give you back up to like $3,000 per household. So in her case, I, I don't think she has lost, I mean, it's a good thing, actually, but she hasn't like lost money because of however the government program works for her company. I think she's not losing money yet, so she can't, but then she can't actually get money. And, she, and ironically, she probably spends more now that she actually has free time. Oh, Jesus Christ. I hope it's not on notebooks. <laughs> uh, she has, dude, I don't know, probably like 30 of these things. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I wouldn't want to throw them away if I spent like a week and a half making these elaborate notebooks. So I'm sure, I'm sure her room is like full of like all these things. But yeah, the, and and they don't pay for that either. She has to buy the notebooks. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh. Oh. All right. Well, I don't really have anything else to say about that. I mean that, but okay. Here, here, here's what I want to say is like, that's that's an example, but I think many Japanese people are living similar lives, right? They're they're making very little, and they're getting squeezed by the costs, like especially when the. Well, okay. I mean, th- this is another maybe another good discussion topic, but the whole point is in any country is you don't want to pay people too much money. Like the whole point of having to make a government work in a country work is to just give people enough not to die because you want them to like keep producing. If they make a mistake and overpay like a huge amount of the population, then they're not going to, they don't need to work anymore. They can just retire and play animal crossing all day. So like there's a huge incentives for governments and societies to never make a structure that actually does pay out enough money like they, they want to make you keep working every year that's the goal right they don't want you to stop yeah okay that's getting into a whole different topic but you're yeah you're saying like well okay the government okay let's talk about the government's incentive the or the their goal so when they were increasing the consumption tax supposedly their goal is to raise more money to reduce the deficit every year and whether that was successful or not, I'm not even sure. I think actually it wasn't successful because what actually happens is just spending decreases even. So I don't even think that goal was attained. Because uh, I think what ha- I could, we could check. But one thing you can do is you can just spend less and then the government also makes less. <laughs> but well, what's the incentive for if you just started on the level of like the travel company? This is, why would the travel company have any incentive to make her life better by like, you know, share, like, for example, just sharing these books or doing any, anything different. What's the incentive? I, it's hard to, uh, put into words, but it's like, if, 
what like her incentive is to have a better life essentially and she's not able to like assert that position or or like uh she doesn't have the enough agency to cause the company to change in order for her to achieve that yeah and and i mean she doesn't like living in japan because of all this be- before all this but because she already knows what japan is because there is no way she has agency to do much of anything like you can't switching a company doesn't improve the situation so every every company is doing the same thing like there's no incentive for them to make anything really better for the employees because they're not trying to really i don't know make more money in like any kind of yeah that's what it's coming back to it's that mindset of like it's not about making money it's or like making more money it's more about just maintaining your position and stability Yes. Yeah. They already have a way that they know how much money that they're going to make. And so there's no incentive. They're not trying to like there are a lot of travel companies, I guess, kind of competing. But I don't know. They're, they're not trying to make it. Um, they're probably trying to get more customers, but they're not trying to like improve like the margin per, you know, what I mean, like most companies, I should say. I'm sure there's new companies that might be doing this and then they're more successful. Uh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand the mechanism of, of what makes it like why you're making something nicer for your employees. It, it might just be to intr- attract better employees might be your thing, but there's not a lot of fields where I can see that, that that's like, there's such a thing. Yeah, I guess. Well, okay. Let me take the U S point of view, uh, but again, it, it, maybe it's different because it's like, a, it's the freedom that the employee has is greater or like, Maybe it's different because, but in the U.S., the idea, right, is that if you make a better, more comfortable working situation, even if you're not trying to get new employees, that your employee will perform better. So, okay, maybe we should just do this as a whole podcast topic. But I guess, I guess my thing about that is, is why, what does it mean to perform better in like, in like her specific case, right? Like, yeah, exactly. All right, let's, let's table, let's definitely put that as a, as a topic for later. And uh, maybe wrap up this part. Yeah, that was good. And uh, let's come back to that one later.